what's up, guys? This is Clint McGill. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. And today's guest, I think you're really going to enjoy. The guy's name is Ben Brewster from Tread Athletics. And uh, this is a conversation Ben and I had at the Youth Baseball Summit. And uh, just one of my favorite talks of the whole deal. And uh, Ben's just a really sharp guy. He'll share his, his story with you a little bit. And uh, he'll also share kind of the nuts and bolts of what they do as far as, you know, focusing on building velocity, some pitching mechanics, and the components on how they how they build that, right? Because uh, it's kind of like a tripod. People want to say, hey, what's the most important leg? Well, they all kind of matter. And it's the same with pitching. There's not just this one magic bullet that if you focus on, uh, things improve. Uh, there's really a few different uh, components that are equally as important and Ben really sheds light on that today in a good way. And one thing I want to share too is that we recorded this uh, via video um, a year ago and so on our Facebook page, if you go to facebook.com backslash baseball notes and then click on the video section, you'll be able to see the recording that uh, me and Ben filmed. And I think it's about 35 minutes into that recording, you'll see his demonstration. You'll hear it in the podcast where he talks about getting into your legs. And uh, there's so many buzzwords going around, right? People just say, get into your legs and expect people to know what that means. And so Ben did a fantastic job of showing what you want to see uh, from a young player as far as a movement standpoint. And uh, so anyway, I'd encourage you to check that out, facebook.com backslash baseball notes. And uh, like I said, 35 minutes in, check that out. So uh, before we get started, let's get into our review of the week. Hi Clint, I want to thank you for your help with my daughter's slump. I must admit that I was skeptical about your videos, but had run out of options. My 12-year-old daughter was in a hitting slump for several weeks. She would kill the ball in batting lessons and at practice, and then could not make contact at the plate. She had a rough start to the season, which we knew was blowing her confidence. I figured we would try your videos because with the double money back guarantee, what did we have to lose? Well, they worked. Her batting average began to climb, and by last week, she had over a 400 batting average. She said, those videos really helped me. Thank you for understanding the mental part of this game and making a difference in the lives of so many ballplayers. Carrie. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for sharing that. Continued good vibes to your daughter. Again, it's always uh, so impressive to see how well players can play once they get out of their own way. So um, anyway, on to our interview with Ben. And you'll notice a couple of times the uh, the audio gets a little bit wiry, but uh, it's, it's pretty brief, only a couple times, so stick with it. But uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here is our conversation with Ben Brewster. Ben, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Excited to uh, to talk shop a little bit with you. So, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. You wrote the book, the ninety five mile an hour body, and uh, which we have a link below for people to check out. And you talk a lot about your path from being a skinny, one hundred fifty pound, you know, just kid to being two hundred fifteen pounds, uh, you know, fifteenth round draft pick and throwing ninety five miles an hour. So um, that's a transformation that everybody would like to go through, you know, for their child or what have you. And uh, the big question everybody wants to know is, how did you do that? <laughs> so, uh, so if you can just kind of walk us through it here, what, you know, start from the beginning. What uh, what did you do for us? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, the, the book was basically a culmination of of my story of my transformation. It was, you know, it was the principles that I used uh, in, in undergoing my transformation and just kind of working in a little bit of the story. So, um, just to give you, you kind of touched on it, but to give you some background. Um, Again, I didn't have a ton of instruct, a ton of good instruction growing up. Um, you know, I kind of played every. I was one of those kids played every sport. 
didn't particularly focus on any one. You know, my parents weren't really into baseball. My dad wasn't like coaching me on all these things growing up. Um, I was just playing the local travel or not even travel, like in-house teams. Um, you know, wasn't really serious at all. Didn't even pitch until I was 12 years old when, um, you know, I was playing outfield and they needed a pitcher and they said, hey, you know, come throw an inning for us. So um, right. I didn't really, ha I felt like from the very start, I kind of uh, started behind, you know, behind the eight ball a little bit. Um, but that being said, I was always kind of more towards the athletic side on, right. on the teams I was playing on, which weren't good teams, but on those specific teams was always, you know, one of the better players in and so I'd never really felt what it was like to not be one of the better players. I would never really tasted what failure felt like and never really tasted what losing felt like. Um, so I get to high school and that first season, that first uh, freshman year, um, that was really the first time I tasted failure, like really in anything. Like that was a huge wake up call to me. It's like, wow, like you cannot be the best player on the team. Like that's a thing. Uh, like, just because the competition was that much better as a freshman? Yeah, I was, I was not, I wasn't physically mature and I'm playing, you know, not in a great conference, but just being a, you know, 15 year old physically mature kid throwing 70 miles an hour and, you know, playing with guys throwing in the, you know, low eighties, low right. mid eighties. Um, you know, I'd suddenly tasted what failure felt like. And I was, this was like kind of a turning point, honestly, in my life, um, definitely in, in my baseball career, but in my life, because it was the first time I'd really experienced failure in anything. Um, right. And so I was forced with this choice. I could basically like continue with what I was doing, which was really nothing. It was just like getting by on my talent without really any seeking out anything beyond, you know, the practices I was going to, or I could, you know, to me, it was binary. It was that, or it was go 100% all in and, you know, play in college, be the best I could possibly be like, take this as far as it could possibly go. Like that's kind of my personality is, um, you know, now, when I when I choose something at this point, it's like all or nothing. Um, so, you know, that was kind of a that was an influential time of my life. I I really feel like there were a number of ways I could have gone and a number of things I could have chosen to go all in on. And baseball was kind of the thing that I chose to go all in on. But I really feel like I could have chosen almost anything that I had any amount of talent towards. And you know, the the and what you'll hear kind of through this story is the the principles underlying what I did can be applied to anything. Like I'm, I'm to start uh, your life. So I just happened to choose baseball. Um, naturally I knew, you know, I went to the internet, I went to whatever information I'd get my hands on, which wasn't that great back then. Um, it was very general information. There was kind of a handful of obscure forums, pitching forums. Like that was kind of where you got information. Um, didn't really have any, you know, pitching instruct qualified pitching instructors around where I was from. Uh, didn't come from a ton of money. So, you know, going to pitching lessons three times a week was kind of out of the question. You know, my dad didn't really play baseball. Like he couldn't, I, there was very limited, limited resources. So I went to the internet and it was, you know, it was, I'm sure some of these listeners might not have heard of them, but let's talk pitching forums and uh, setpro.com forums. And that was kind of it. And so I was, you know, I was basically that obsessive forum kid that has 10,000 posts and everyone's like annoyed by him because he's like commenting on everything. And trying to learn. And, um, you know, naturally I made a lot of mistakes. I hurt myself a ton by getting over aggressive, trying to train seven days a week and you know, more is better. Like every, every beginner thinks more is better and everything. And so you, you quickly realize, or in my case, it took a lot more than 
you know, longer than I would have liked to, to learn some of these lessons, but you quickly realize that more is not better and that there's a reason that, you know, workout programs are written the way they're written and that it's not like just train twice a day for seven days. Like you realize why, why things are the way they are. And a lot of things that people have figured out that do make a lot of sense. But then as you go through the process, you start to uncover, you know, things that don't quite add up the conventional yeah. wisdom in the baseball world that doesn't quite add up. And so questioning that going, going at the process kind of on my own without having all this external stuff of, of how the baseball world and the training process should be, I was able to kind of question it as I went. So I, I feel like I, I definitely had my own, uh, own perspective and I, I was trying to test everything on myself as I went. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because I know that, uh, you know, if you grow up with just a certain amount of beliefs, you just kind of keep doing it. And it sounds like you were never deep in the baseball community to kind of have these beliefs get set that you got to learn on your own. And a funny little side note, too, um, in college, I became a pitcher at Loyola Marymount. They needed me to pitch. And uh, we had a really good pitching coach, uh, John Strauss. He's at Baylor now. But uh, I, for some reason, I was like, I'm going to go start doing the same thing. I'm going to go dig something off of my own. And uh, at the time, this was like 2004 or something like that. And uh, I can't remember whose, whose site it was, but I had to order like a free pamphlet. You know what I mean? And I remember thinking it was so funny, like, man, if I make the major leagues and like, this will be my story, you know, and like how I became a pitcher was I ordered something through the I internet. Bet it, I bet it was pitching.com. It might've been, it was probably something super basic. Nails, and, yeah. uh, it was like a yellow, I remember opening it up. It was like a, you know, uh, like a lunch menu or something like that. And uh, I didn't make the major league, so the story's not as cool. Yeah. But um, but I, I feel the struggle there. So um, so so let's kind of talk about it, man. So what's the conventional, you know, some of the conventional things that are taught that you found not to be true? That's kind of a kind of a loaded question. Um, I think there's a lot of a lot of misinformation that's that has existed that's starting to now that there are more there's more accessible information, um, starting to see some changes in that, but you know, things like velocity is, is a God-given thing. It's, it's just an innate, you have it or you don't, um, you know, the weight, just weight and your, your body will grow into velocity, that type of thing. Um, you know, the fact that weight training will make you inflexible, you know, just inherently make you inflexible if you get stronger. Like that's just blatantly not true. Um, you know, that's like, that's not true. You know, there's, a lot of things that as you go through the process, you start to develop a really good BS meter for a lot of these things. And because I wasn't force fed these, um, these philosophies, these conventional wisdoms through my process, I was able to come to the, these conclusions on my own. Um, I was able to kind of develop that BS meter and develop my own philosophy along the way um, at the expense of, you know, I was hurting myself all the time. I was delaying my progress all the time, testing all these crazy drills and um, not really having an idea of what I was doing. But the, the positive side there is I, I've tried so many things that now when I coach my athletes, um, you know, I've, I've seen so many different angles and aspects of it. I've, I've tried so many different, you know, mechanical cues and, and drills um, that I'm able to really help guys from a number of different angles, having been through it, having had, you know, a thousand different little tweaks and injuries um, from doing this or that the wrong way. Um, so that was pretty much my high school process was just bang my head against the wall, like absorbing as much knowledge as I possibly could, testing all of it on myself, like hurting myself, coming back, like being a little better, um, gaining some weight, getting a little stronger, hurting myself, like just banging my head against the wall. And somehow over that process, I'd gone from 6'3", 150 to 185 pounds and from 70 to 85. 
like knowing nothing and just like through pure like hard work and just like trying crap and having a little bit of natural athleticism, I was able to do that. And that was, you know, nothing special, especially nowadays, like everybody in high school seems to be throwing 85. Right. Um, I had the, the benefit of being lefty and low arm slot guy. So that, that was like the one and having a little height six, three. So that was the one thing that kind of saved my career and allowed it to, to go on. Um, but from there, I basically chose my school. You know, I was still active. I was still pursuing. I was still all in on baseball. I didn't have a, a school. I wasn't committed to a school um, as a senior. To find a way to work. Actually, I decided I was going to study exercise science in college. Like anything that could possibly help me, even a fraction of percent, it was, I'm studying that. And so then it was, okay, what are the schools that will have the best exercise science program? So I um, ended up committing to go to Maryland, not having a spot on the team. So I'm already committed to go there. It's the summer, you know, it's June. I, I start classes in September and I sign up for one of those like recruiting prospect camps. Um, with the 100% intention of making the team. Like I'm going to go into this camp, which like nobody just gets recruited out of those camps. Right. I'm like, but I'm going in, I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to be the one guy. I'm going to be the one guy to do it. I'm going to go into the camp and I'm going to leave the camp and I'm going to have a spot on the team. So we, we go into the camp and I mean, again, it's like sophomores and juniors and some seniors, um, you know, not the best competition, but I end up having good showing, you know, sitting 85 and, um, we were throwing like these abbreviated innings and I go, I throw two innings and strike out six guys. And the coach at the time, Eric Backich, who's now the head coach at Michigan, he comes up to me and he's like, kind of looks at me funny and he, he's trying to make me a little nervous. And he's like, if you, um, if you can go do that again, you go do that one more inning, you'll have a spot on the team. No way. Wow. That's some pressure. <laughs> and so, I mean, looking back, like everyone's like, everyone tells me that that's, that's pressure, but looking back, and I think you, you'll be able to relate to this when you have days where you know you're, you have your stuff. It's like, you can't not throw a strike when you're having one of those days. And I just knew I was having one of those days, like things were repeating, like for whatever reason, like not, not that I have, not that that's every day for me, but like for whatever reason, yeah, for whatever reason, I was like, that's fine. I'm going to, you can throw me out there for seven straight innings. And it was, it was that mentality right. so that, you know, that, it happened and and he shook my hand and I ran up and hugged my mom and told her spot on the team. Uh, that was that was the start of the journey because then I entered that fall as the worst player on the team, like hands down by far, probably like bottom ten in the conference in the ACC um, at Maryland. So um, it's it's just been a, a successive journey of like failing, 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 like one little success every so often more failing, you know, along the way, a little bit of success, a little bit of progress and, you know, basically just banging my head against a wall for a decade. Um, yeah, I love it, man. That's a good story. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And, uh, it's funny. We, right before we got live on here, uh, uh, he mentioned my book, the, uh, not tribe of mentors. What is it here? Oh, the tool, the tools of Titans with Tim Ferriss, tools of Titans. And uh, he's got it right there next to him. And uh, Tim Ferriss, he, he fashions himself as the human crash test dummy. This guy's done all sorts of drug tests and everything else to, you know, optimize human potential. And uh, Ben's a little bit, got a little bit of that in him too. He's done the, the crash test dummy, the experiments so that we don't have to, and learned a lot what doesn't work, which is just as valuable what does work. So, um, so anyway, it's really fascinating 
And uh, so anyway, it sounds like you were really a go-getter. You're willing to do two two times a day workouts, whatever it takes. And turns out that's not the best thing to do. So that's absolutely um, not the best way. Not not to say I didn't try it. So <laughs> yeah, I was going so to try just about anything and explore all avenues before, you know, starting to hone in on on what actually works. And so yeah. So so what actually worked? Tell us what um, what were some of the keys to your success there? What what uh, with the weightlifting? I mean, give us give us the insights. If sure. somebody Let's kind of back it up here into this form. If somebody were to come into, um, you know, to to your facility and wants to get better, they're a high school kid or maybe they're middle school, kind of getting into high school and starting to get serious. Um, you know, what's the, what do they need to be focusing on? First thing we do when we talk to talk to athletes before we train them is just get on a call with them and have a conversation with them. Um, you got to make sure that the athlete has the right mentality and is a good fit for this type of training. Like it really isn't, you can't, you can't take, you can give everybody the optimal training program, but you're going to have guys who don't have the, you know, the between the ears necessary to actually take advantage of that. Okay. It's such a mind numbingly like tedious process. Um, you know, the guys who just say college baseball is like four years of like the most fun, like tend to not be the guys that get better over those four years there. Cause they're just in, they're just having fun and, shagging bp and going out on weekend like right it tends to be a tedious process in terms of really devoting yourself to being the best that you can be um so to the to the extreme that i take it and to the extreme that a lot of our athletes take it um the first step is talking to them and making sure that they have this intrinsic motivation to actually follow it themselves um it doesn't do any good to give somebody a you know, specific nutrition regimen to follow if they're not going to follow it. It's like, it's, it defeats the purpose if they don't first have that in place. And that's probably important for here to a lot of parents, because there's a lot of parents out here that, um, you know, want their kid to do, to really, you know, maximize themselves. And sometimes the kids, they say they want it sometimes, you know what I mean? But maybe they're not fully on board. So I think that's really important to hear is that, you know, this has got to be the kid's choice and they've got to really want it. Exactly. And, and they're out there. They really are out there. Um, but parents need to be mindful of it. Uh, you know, that it's not you pushing. If you're constantly having to monitor it, then maybe this kid's not quite ready for full speed yet. So, well, well that's, that's what we see repeatedly is when the kid, him, the kid himself reaches out, doesn't matter the age, if he's 14 or 15 or 24, like if the, if the athlete himself, it's always, a, it's always a great experience. He always, they're always committed. They're always following it. Um, they communicate with us. We're able to because we know they're following it, we're able to go in and actually make the adjustments to the program if they hit a plateau, which everybody hits a plateau at some point, and no one's just gaining 10 miles an hour easily, like in a month. Everyone's going to hit plateaus and have to fight through them, have to problem solve along with with us. Um, so those end up being really good, really positive experiences. And then the not so positive experiences tend to be when a kid is dragged into a program by his parent and commits no nothing as far as like there's no time commitment there's no financial commitment there's there's no commitment and this is just human psychology like if you don't if i give you a program for free you don't have to do anything to get it you're not going to value it as much as if you had to work you had to make some sort of commitment to get that right so those a lot of parents think that their kid is like super super motivated and everything and they they end up doing all the talking and they end up doing everything and they end up dragging the kid into the, into the conference calls and into the FaceTimes. And those tend to, the kids tend to not 
be as engaged in the process when their parent drags them into it versus when the athlete themselves seeks us out. So yeah, and a quick little point, we'll get into what what this program entails too. But one little side note I want to share with the parents while we're on this topic is that it seems like your stories is is a lot like mine. I was I was very small growing up and I had to be in 100% mode. I couldn't go at 90% and compete. I was too little, you know what I mean? And uh, it, having a little bit of that chip on the shoulder really helps that work ethic where there was guys who were, you know, look like they were destined when they were, you know, 15 years old, look like they were destined to be first round picks. You know what I mean? They just right, seemed like right. everything came easy. And then, you know, once they're size, usually bigger kids will have an advantage now. And, uh, you know, at, in the youth level, and if they, if everything comes easy and they don't have to put in the extra 50 swings because they're already dropping bombs. Well, once they get into high school and things, those guys tend to really fall into the middle of the pack. And so, um, you know, we can kind of do a disservice for the guys who are doing well at the young age um, with not developing that work ethic some way. So anyway, just a little side note I wanted to throw in there to parents. Like if you've got a kid that's a little bit behind after, uh, you know, the, the pack, that's really uh, probably a pretty good thing if, if he does actually want it. So uh, no, it's, it's great. It's, it, that's, that's the perfect time to develop those intangible things. Um, you never appreciate what, you know, the, the outcome of, of your hard work if you didn't have to struggle at some point in the process. I, I attribute a lot of um, my want and my willingness to to train to my initial struggles. Like I really had to I really had to work to to improve. Versus, you know, most of the guys I was competing with in college and pro ball, like those are the kids that threw 90 miles an hour as a freshman in high school, and I was throwing 70. Like, like they never they didn't have an appreciation for what they had been given. Versus, if they had had to claw for 10 years to get there. There's a completely different appreciation for that. So I think late developers actually have an advantage. You know, the 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 five foot kid who suddenly hits a growth spurt his junior year of high school, and now he can now he has this you know similar stuff to his peers, but he's had to work for it. He appreciates it. Now he's at an advantage. Um, so I think communicating that to to younger athletes who haven't fully matured yet, who might be later developers, um, that can actually be flipped into an advantage. And I, I think it really was for me. Yeah, yeah, no question, no question. So. Um, all right, so let's talk about that kid. Now you got the kid that reached out to you. He's on board. He wants to learn from Ben Brewster. So I know you've got more than just, you know, kind of you kind of have a more of an all-encompassing plan than most people. It's not just, hey, I want you to go throw as hard as you can three times a week or whatever. Right. So you mentioned nutrition. Um, what's the plan? What are the little parts that are that go into your teachings here that you that you found that be to you know uh, achieve so much success? Definitely. So. Um, in terms of throwing velocity, which is, you know, that's the bread and, you know, bread and butter of what we do is pitchers or position players, mostly pitchers um, are the ones that we're trying to improve their throwing velocity. So have to break down, okay, what does that entail? Well, it entails being able to move efficiently and athletically through high level positions and be able to exert a lot of force through those dynamic positions. If we can do that, we can throw hard. So then you need to break it down further. How do I move efficiently? Well, I need to have a base of athleticism. I need to understand what a high level delivery entails. I need to understand, okay, what, what is a back leg? What's, what's its role in a delivery? What's the role of the front leg? Um, how do I create torque? Um, how do I, uh, you know, apply maximum intent to the baseball? Um, you, need to, you need to understand what efficient movement entails. And then within that, a lot of times there's movement restrictions that are stopping guys from actually getting into those positions. So a guy sometimes can't get into his back leg. He can't efficiently use his lower half if he has tight hamstrings, if he has tight hips. 
Um, so it's all connected in terms of in terms of that. So that's why you can't just continue to cue a kid to use his to firm up his front side better or his, his landing leg or, or use his back leg better. If there's an underlying, you know, flexibility issue, mobility issue, um, you know, no matter how hard he tries, he's not going to be able to make that change. So how do so, you improve his mobility? Do you guys, um, is it a lot of, is there certain exercises or is it like a yoga or if, if, uh, cause there's probably a lot of people have no idea that they have tight hamstrings or what have you, you know what I mean? Is there sort of like a, a go-to program that you guys like to use? Like, Hey, we like to put him through some goblet squats or, or what, what's your take? Yeah. So first thing is we, we do take everybody through a full movement screen. Um, since we're doing this remotely, they're basically submitting 20 to 25, uh, very detailed videos that we walk them through and looking at, looking at them at, you know, from a joint by joint approach, does each joint have proper motion, um, you know, in isolation. And then also looking at it from a, from a movement standpoint, can they do fundamental movements, uh, overhead squat, a lateral lunge push up, and they do fundamental so not in isolation how they should um but can they move through fundamental patterns uh the way they need to be able to move through and then from there we basically write everybody a corrective exercise regimen separate from their strength training program and they'll do that as part of their warm-up you know some guys only have 10 minutes and they're relatively you know not too jacked up and then other guys you know they might do 25 30 minutes uh, the guys who have a ton of issues that they need to address um, so it's everything from there's some, there's some static stretching. Um, there's a lot of direct tissue work. So lacrosse ball rolling, foam rolling, um, partner, you know, manual release work where they, you know, kind of partner up and work on each other um, as far as tissue work. And then you kind of touched on it. There, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of benefit to just having a proper training program is corrective in and of itself. Um, doing a full range of motion squat with proper form is a great way to loosen up your hips. Is a great way to loosen up your ankles. It's a great way to correct a lot of uh, a lot of issues if you're doing it properly. Um, so there's a lot of benefit to just doing a proper tr proper strength training program that's uh, that's balanced in and of itself. That it has you know proper ratio of pushing exercises to pulling exercises. Um, lifting in and of itself is corrective. It can be corrective if you're doing it properly. If you're doing it through a full range of motion. So um, that kind of gets back into the the myth we were talking about where you know, a lot of, a lot of parents think that strength training means you're going to lose mobility because they see guys walking around, you know, you know, can't wipe their butt, you know, on the toilet, can't get their arm behind their, you know, can't scratch their back. Strongest um, man competition frames, yeah, right? So it's, yeah. it's, it's basically, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of nuance to it. It's, it's not just like strength, all strength training is not created equal. It's, it's the devil. It really is in the details, like a bench press, like to 90 degrees, not touching your chest versus a full range of motion dumbbell bench press where you, you take the pecs into a lengthened position and explode in range. And the other one, you're actually going to improve mobility over time. So it's, it's not as simple as just black and white. Um, so again, specific corrective exercise program. And then also just um, having a balanced individualized strength training program that can be corrective as well. So that gets into kind of the movement aspect. If, if athletes can move properly uh, through their delivery and if their joints are all working properly and they have the requisite range of motion to get into those necessary positions, that's the first part of the puzzle. Second part of the puzzle is do, can they apply a high amount of force in those positions? And so that gets into the strength training, that gets into the nutrition, 
that gets into building muscle mass. In order to be able to apply a high amount of force off the back leg, be able to absorb that on the front leg, be able to transmit that through your torso, be able to transmit that into your upper half and ultimately into the ball, every piece of the chain has to be strong. To be strong, you do need a certain base level of muscle mass. So the size of your muscle is co directly correlated to how much force that muscle can exert. So you're, that's why you don't see 130 pound kids that squat 600 pounds. Like it's, it's right. they're, they're not 100% linked, but they're very, very, very strongly correlated. You will see some guys who are a little bit smaller that are stronger than they should be, you know, and the other guys who are a little bit bigger, but weaker than they should be. But um, by and large, it's a direct correlation. The bigger and stronger, the bigger your muscles are, the stronger they're going to be. Um, so that's where you're not going to build muscle mass unless you give your muscles the stimulus and the environment to actually grow. Your muscles. I mean, is that the nutrition? Is that the nutrition part exactly. we're talking about? Just it's eat, two things. Eating, eating. It's it's two things. It's the training stimulus. It's giving the giving the body a reason to want to lay down new protein, want to build muscle, and that's that's the strength training, which has a progressive overload component, lifting a little bit more each time, advancing the exercises just a little in excess of raw building blocks to actually give your body something to lay down to create new muscle. So just training on its own isn't enough if there's not a slight excess of nutrients available. These are the building blocks. This is These are the proteins that your body's actually going to lay down to make that muscle bigger so that you can lift just a little bit more next time. So yeah, that's, again, it's all the pieces. It's you can't, You're not going to get stronger by just training but eating 1,000 calories a day. Maybe to, you know, a total beginner for, to, for a point will just by their brain getting more efficient at recruiting the muscle, but you're not going to build muscle um, by not giving your body the requisite, the, the necessary nutrition to grow. And if you have the nutrition down, but your training's not in line and you're not trying to lift a little bit more weight each time, you're not progressing the exercises each time, then you're going to stagnate as well. So it's, again, you can see how all the pieces of the puzzle have to be in line to really make progress. That's when we see some crazy transformations. I know you, you had Pitching Ninja on the show. Um, Jack gained, you know, 70 pounds over two years. And he was just brutally consistent, gaining a pound a week, roughly for that entire time, um, you know, with some exceptions in season and progressing his lifts. He, you know, at 16 years old, he's trap bar deadlifting 450 plus pounds, you know, throwing around 100 pound dumbbells. Um, and he's not, you know, he's not a genetic freak. He's an athletic kid, but um, you know, improving it, we're improving his mechanics the whole time. We're working to improve his mobility the whole time to get into better positions in those mechanics that we're working on. We're working on improving his strength through full, full ranges of motion the whole time. And we're working to keep him in a, a calorie surplus, keep enough calories in his body to allow him to recover from that training. And you put all these pieces together and then you start to see this very, very, you know, seemingly magical process over time. Not that, his process was a linear one because he hit plenty of plateaus. He gained seven or eight miles an hour, I believe it was in the first three months. And then, but over time is when you, when you see those positive trends. So um, any parents, any athletes listening to this, it's not, it's not a linear, easy process. It's not, you know, I'm going to give this coach a thousand dollars and he's going to return by giving my kid 10 miles an hour. Like anybody who promises guaranteed velocity, like that's just not how it works. And so that's, that's the other reason we try to talk to, talk to these kids on the phone before we sign up, you know, before we even determine if they're a good fit, if, if they're like, okay, what can you guarantee me? Like we have to explain, like, that's not how it works. Like no right. one guaranteed me velocity. Like I literally, I went into this process, like no idea, like 
I'm going to give everything I can. I'm going to do everything in my power to improve as much as I can. And I'm going to let the cards fall how they fall. And if I, if I fail, I'm going to just make the adjustment, try again, fail, make the adjustment, try again. So as coaches, our job is, I'm a believer that this, this whole thing is a trial and error process for everybody. At the big league level, at the little league level, everything here is trial and error. And as coaches, our goal is to shorten that trial and error process. It's to shorten the, the errors in that process. It's to say, okay, don't try that drill. Like that drill hurt me. Don't do that one. Like we're going to try these instead. These have a higher probability of working. But any coach who says he has the golden ticket, there's a lot of coaches who've been doing the same thing for 30 years and act like they have the golden ticket. And it's, this is the only way you have to throw, you know, you have to be this type of pitcher. You know, just look at the all-star game. You're seeing like the funkiest pitchers out there. You're seeing a huge array of different types of deliveries, different body proportions, different heights, um, different arm slots. Like there's not, there's not one right way to do things. There's some principles that underlie that process for all of them, but there's so many different ways to the top. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's um, that's almost you know exactly why we put together this summit is because you know there's people who have plans out there, and it's not that those plans are wrong. It's just that there's just so many different ways to be successful, and you don't want to be 25 years old when you find out about some new technique. You know, I told a story right. where I read Sean Green's book where you know he knew 50% of the pitches that were coming because of the way he read the pitcher. And right. was talking about how, you know, this, there were so many things that I learned over just a few pages. And I was like, you know, I was retired at the time. You know what I mean? This is just a few years ago. And I was just like so frustrated. Like, how do I not encounter that? And uh, so, you know, I think it's really important for people to encounter people's teachings, encounter your teachings and, uh, and question it. I mean, try it out. And if it doesn't work, it maybe didn't work for you. But like to, to, we need to be able to encounter this stuff quicker. And so I really like what you're saying with the t- trial and error. You can't just say, oh, hey, this so-and-so helped out these pitchers, so right. I'm going to do exactly what they do. Even though the towel drill doesn't work for you, it feels funny, you, don't, you know what I mean? Like, like, do something different. So it's important to find the people like yourself who are genuine with, with their training. They're not out here just spamming people online. You know, you're working with high-level guys and getting results, and that's all that matters. So, um, so, so let's talk about, like, the mechanics a little bit. That sounds like a, part, a component that we haven't talked about. We've got mobility. We've got strength, nutrition. And uh, mechanics, what's something that when your kids come to you, what's a, what's a mistake that you see to be, seem to be correcting quite a bit? So looking at mechanics in terms of the kinetic chain, the, fl- the flow of energy from back to front and from bottom to top, um, there's a lot of breaks in that chain that occur. The, the worst mobility an athlete has and the worst strength they have, the harder it is to fix these things. If they don't have the mobility to get into the right patterns, if they don't have the athleticism to control their body, and if they don't have the strength to produce or accept that force, then it's a lot harder to work with that athlete. It's a lot harder to get into the right position. Makes it easier to then teach them the mechanical stuff and and know that they'll be able to get into those positions a little better. If we have a kid who's 30 pounds overweight and weak on his single leg strength work and missing a ton of flexibility in his groin, you know, no matter how how we talk to him, he's not going to be able to effectively get into his back leg and controls, you know, control his center of mass shift. Like it's just very tough. Um, so that's when we see a lot is, is guys aren't effectively, effectively able to produce force off their back leg. It's, what does that look like? You said you, you can't get into your back leg. Can you explain what that looks like for somebody? Um, so being able to, do you want me to like stand up and yeah, if you can't, if you don't mind, yeah, let's see what, see what it looks like. 
So again, not not every uh, not every pitcher is the exact same way. The, uses their lower half in the same way, but it's it's being able to create a, a horizontal force vector off the back leg. So being able to produce ground reaction force directly back into the rubber versus straight up and down. And so you're being a left-handed. You're you're acting like a left-handed pitcher right now, just for everybody at home, correct? Correct. So pitchers that that don't effectively uh, use their back leg, they're creating a very vertical vector of force with their back leg. So they might, as they go through their throw, it might look like that. If you look at the shin angle from from the ground through the through the knee, that shin angle, it stays upright the entire time. They're not really getting anything out of the back leg. What you want to do, so your center of mass is around your belly button. You want to be able to apply force through the center of mass as horizontally as possible. That's going to be correlated to to velocity. To be, it's just like a sprinter. A sprinter isn't trying to produce force up. A sprinter is trying to produce force back into the ground. So if you look at it as far as like I'm sprinting laterally, it's trying to it's like a lateral sprint. We're trying to produce that force in that direction, not just produce force straight up and down. Ah, so it's, okay. It's being able to, it's being able to versus this way then the opposite of what will happen, my body will move in this direction. But a lot of, a lot, especially kids who don't have the strength to do so, they'll go through their delivery and there's just nothing coming out of their backside because they're creating very vertical angles. I had this thing like shaking around. No, yeah, we see you find that. That's really helpful to see that. So, so uh, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the back leg issues that we see. Again, not, not every pitcher, not every big league pitcher, um, you know, has a, a super extreme example you know back leg drive um but that's that's a common one is, is being able to create more of a, a horizontal force vector um as far as the front leg it's being able to absorb that force um so the, the front and the back legs mirror each other so to speak if you have a horizontal back leg drive then the front leg is going to mirror that you're going to absorb force in a more horizontal angle and if you have a very vertical back leg drive you're going to absorb that force very vertically so I mean like a short stride? Is that is that what that looks yeah, like? I'll explain again. So if, if guys go through their their motion very upright, very vertical back leg, they tend to absorb that force very top to bottom like this on their front leg. And okay. so it's very you can think about it like that angle. It's a very vertical delivery. And if they do a really good job of getting to their back hip, then what they do is the front leg mirrors that. So you start to create a more horizontal uh, transfer of force. Okay, gotcha. So you, using the ground uh, laterally, both on the back leg and on the front leg to absorb that force, that's a common mistake or a common, a common issue that we're constantly trying to address. Um, get up the chain, it's okay, you've produced force off the back leg. Now you're trying to create separation, you're trying to create torque. And so from there, it's being able to segment the hips from the shoulders. A lot of kids, not only are they not creating horizontal force, but they're getting and not able to let the hips go first, and then the shoulders go, and then the arm goes. So it's being able to teach them to get the hips open, but keep the shoulders closed at landing. So we're, lower half, we're trying to get very horizontal with the force application, and we're trying to get the hips to go while keeping the upper half back. So we can land in that separated position versus everything coming together, that's how we then create torque from the lower half to the upper half. Wow, that's, no, that's fantastic. That's so, uh, so helpful. That's, that's, that's a good, 
uh, demonstration there. I appreciate you doing that. And uh, it reminds me of the Sean Green book again, because he, he talked about creating uh, torque in his body. And one thing that he did was that, um, that you know, because he, was, he wasn't he was a huge guy, you know, I don't, he was pretty tall, so maybe he was over 200 pounds, but pretty skinny. And uh, and he, he would stride almost as if he were hitting an inside pitch, but he would move his shoulders as if he was hitting an outside pitch. And so it basically created that same position that you just yeah. explained, you know what I mean, where the hips are open, but the, but the shoulders are not. And then it just sort of released on its own and, uh, you know, had developed tremendous power. So that's really, uh, really, really helpful there. So, um, so yeah, we could talk about this all day long, man. Yeah. I, I, I know the listeners at home uh, are, are surely enjoying it. And so what I'll do, instead of having you go over it, you've got a great little video of talking about like your front side arm mechanics. And for those at home that are, you know, have eight-year-old, nine-year-olds, whatever, um, you know, probably a little bit advanced to, you know, really start tweaking those mechanics with them. Uh, but, you know, for guys who are 13, 14, I think you can really, really benefit from that. So I'm going to put a little link to that clip. And uh, so you can find out, you know, hear, for, hear about that and, uh, and be respectful of your time here. So, um, so anyway, well, well, before we leave here, we'll kind of wrap it up. Um, you know, is there anything that, you know, see any final piece of advice that you would give a parent? They've got a, a young son that's, you know, looking to, looking to improve. I mean, what would you like to share with them before we go? So first thing is as the parent, I would educate yourself as much as possible. Educate before trying to actively intervene in that, in that athlete's uh, career. Educate yourself first before you start changing things and, and trying to give them a piece of advice. Um, I would really make sure that you're doing your homework um, before you start going in and changing things. Um, one thing you realize, obviously as a player, but also as a coach, is that over-cueing, over-coaching is a very real phenomenon. If you're trying too hard and you're giving pieces of feedback after every single rep and you're changing things every single session um, from a motor learning standpoint. So from, from the athlete's ability to interpret that advice and translate that into actual movement changes, um, it's a very limited, our brain has a very limited ability to do that. So keeping it to one, maybe two cues that they're focusing on each session um, is important. If you start getting seven different things that the athlete's focusing on that you're throwing every single swing, or every single throw, you're giving them something different to work on. Um, you know, it's not that he's not trying to make the change. It's that he's being overcued a lot of the times, or he's, he's dealing with, doesn't understand what he's trying to do, or his body is in the, it's trying to figure out that process. It's trying to figure out how to organize itself to get into those positions. Um, there's a lot of reasons why an athlete might not be able to make the change that you're asking of him right away. So understanding that, First and foremost is over time for the athlete to figure it out himself and educating yourself as much as possible. Obviously parents here, you know, they're actively seeking out their own education and, and just watching this. So that's, that's a good first step, but you can never have too much knowledge as, as a coach. Um, just be careful about how you filter that into actually coaching the athlete. The athlete doesn't need to hear most of this stuff um, as you know, you need to be careful about filter, how much of it you filter to them and, and when to apply that information and also being able to read the athlete, um, you know, it's very easy to tell when a 12 year old has, has been, he's frustrated, he's been overcued, and he feels like he's just let down his dad because, you know, he had a bad session and, and making it clear that like the, that the coach, the set, the training, the career, that's like separate from your relationship with the kid, like kids end up quitting baseball together, hating it. 
uh, half the time because they're just so pressure. They feel so much pressure. Um, so letting athletes figure it out for themselves, being very careful, not over, over coach and over cue them too early, allowing them to fall in love with the game and develop an internal sense of motivation themselves. That long-term is the most important thing because if they don't develop that, they have no chance in hell of, of getting to where they want. Um, if they, if they don't really want it for themselves, eventually that's going to get exposed. Um, and yeah, just continue to educate yourself, continue to, to follow everyone that's putting out free content like you're doing, um, like we're doing. There's, there's so much great information out there now. There's a lot of bad information too. So it's, you know, being able to develop kind of a BS meter and, and filter it and, and know and, and test and try and know when to apply that for your kids. So just continue learning, continue, uh, continue that whole trial and error process. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully you'll, uh, you'll figure something out along the way. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great advice, especially as uh, us parents. It's hard not to just really, you know, you've seen your son do do well, and you're like, hey, come on here, do do this, apply it. And uh, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I got was to, you know, on that drive home, especially when you get in the truck, in the car, just just be be positive. Don't even talk about it. The uh, the, or the, don't, the game. Don't, don't say anything. Let let the let the athlete be the first one to talk. If he wants to talk about it, he'll talk about it. Yeah, exactly. If we've got something to correct, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's not easy to make outs and not play well in front of everybody or maybe even played well, but you know, parents, it's just natural to want to talk about that one thing you did wrong. So uh, immediately after the game and uh, John O'Armold talks a lot about this in his session too. He's a pitching coach at the Rangers and has a lot of research and uh, it's just not helpful. It's just like, if you're wanting to help, that's not helping and uh, it's not helping anybody's relationship. So um, anyway, and so one thing I wanted to really point out to everybody at home is that uh, Ben does this remote training. And so, you know, if you were you know, listening earlier, he was talking about people sending in over 20 videos so they can screen their movement. So this isn't just send a little cell phone clip of your pitcher and, uh, and he's going to give them this gigantic plan. So um, to get remote training is very difficult and what ben and them over at tread athletics are doing is very high level stuff so where can they find you and if they wanted to you know ask you any questions or, or follow your teachings what's the best place that we can find you online definitely so twitter uh slash tread athletics instagram tread underscore athletics you can find us at treadathletics.com or email us contact at treadathletics.com um, again what most of what we're doing like you said is higher level stuff so uh, tend to be you know 15 year old is is we have a couple of 14 year olds, but 15 is kind of the cutoff in general, um, because again, we're looking for athletes that are very internally mo motivated themselves, not just kind of dragged in there by their parents. Um, that being said, it's, you know, we more than welcome parents of younger kids to, to follow our stuff, to educate themselves, test and try some of this stuff on their own kids. Um, you know, when the time is right, they're more than welcome to reach out to us and, you know, we'll, we'll see if it's a good fit. Um, but again, we're, you know, we love our remote, we love our athletes. And, and right now it's, you know, it's a remote process. Um, I'm still pursuing my career. Our other, co our other coaches are, are active players as well. Um, so it's very much a, you know, five players, four players um, type of company um, where we're, we're sharing the dream right along with these guys and, and sharing the lessons that we've learned when we were in their shoes. Um, so again, that's, that's where we're at right now. It's, it's a remote training. We've, we've turned into a system where we're really able to help a lot of people um, doing it with this remote format, but eventually we are, you know, planning to have an in-person component to that uh, once our playing careers are done. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that's a decade away, but uh, right. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll keep you guys updated. Definitely give us a follow. Um, you know, we're giving out the vast majority of our information for free. So even if you don't sign up for a program, we're, we're putting out so much information 
Um, we have a free in-season program, in-season strength training and nutrition program um, that we do put out for high school athletes that's featured on our website. Um, so if you kind of want to get a taste of what that might look like, what a sample routine would look like, um, you know, not individualized, but just a general idea, um, definitely check that out on our website. Um, that's a good good way to kind of get a taste. And then for guys who, who want a little bit more background into, you know, really digging into our philosophy, mobility, nutrition, um, throwing mechanics, I go in really in depth into my story in building the 95 mile an hour body. So, you know, that could be worth checking out for some of you guys as well, but, you know, keep following our stuff and, and we'll keep putting out, you know, the best content that we can. Yeah, no, that's great. And guys right below here, you'll see the links to, uh, to all their social medias and to their website and everything. So I can't, can't highly recommend them enough. Um, you know, the pitching ninja, uh, Rob Friedman that, uh, you know, is also involved with the summit. His son has worked extensively with Ben and had fantastic results. And so these guys are the real deal. So I, 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 you know, we're very fortunate that you're able to share with us. I think very, uh, very beneficial. And uh, yeah, take follow them online. And uh, and you know, like I said, if you have any questions, reach out to them. Reach out to reach out to us. So uh, Ben, thank you so much for being here with us. All right, thanks again for having me. Yeah, no problem, no problem. Yeah. So again, check out his stuff online, and we will see you guys in the next session.